Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. So we are uh, headlong into a series called When I Met Jesus, and we're looking at uh, different encounters when Jesus meets people and how that changes their life, um, what that looks like. In fact, tonight we're actually, we are, we are doing something a little bit different. We're, we're sticking with that series and that theme. We're looking at uh, a guy who meets Jesus, two of them in fact, but we're kind of looking, yeah, they met them, but then at the, towards the end of their life, the latter part of their life, or for one of them at least, um, how did meeting Jesus actually change or not change him? And what I want to challenge us with tonight is when we meet Jesus, being, being around him or seeing him or, or just being near Jesus isn't necessarily enough to change you. We need to kind of meet him personally in a real way that actually changes our heart. I want to just start by asking you, uh, maybe, you know, this probably isn't the best time to raise your hand in response, but I mean, feel free if you want to, and like maybe nudge with an elbow if you want to as well, but um, have any of you ever actually experienced uh, betrayal? Some of you may be like the person next to me. Um, a friend, a brother, an ex, have you experienced a betrayal? Or perhaps you have been yourself the betrayer. You know, not keeping your word, backstabbing, hurting those who were meant to be able to trust you. Sorry, it's getting a little bit heavy, hey. Um, today we're going to be looking at two men who both let Jesus down, who betrayed him, who turned their backs on him. And we're going to be looking at how he and they both responded. So today we're going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at Judas. And then, to a lesser extent, but also equally importantly, Peter. So we're going to start with how Jesus met Judas and Peter in keeping with our series. Um, but we're going to also finish with how his relationship with them finished up. Both men betray Jesus. And they each respond differently. So it, it is important how you meet Jesus and that you meet him. But it's also important how you continue to walk with him. I want to highlight for us today the importance of, of not just coming near Jesus or admiring Jesus but actually being transformed by Jesus and letting him rule your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so very good to us. Um, we want to pray that as we uh, consider the person of Jesus, his interaction with uh, Judas, his interaction with Peter, um, the way you were at work in uh, the sweep of history uh, through those three men, one of them the God-man, um, that you would uh, enliven our hearts and help us to love you more, uh, deepen our love for you. Uh, Lord, if we uh, perhaps need to uh, repent of the way we've hurt others, or Lord, perhaps need to repent of the way we have used you, 
uh, just wanted to be near you but not love you and not serve you and not give our life to you, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict us. So I pray now that you would speak to us through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, what, what do we know about Judas? Like, you know that Judas, the, when I say Judas, kind of just by, by bare show of hands, who knows kind of who I'm talking about? Judas. Did you know that Judas Iscariot, who we're talking about today, is only one of the kind of eight or nine Judases listed in the Bible? How do you feel if you're the other eight? Not very great. Who here is going to be naming their baby Judas? Michael, I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Yeah, Michael is currently single, ladies. Uh, if, you want to name, <laughs> if you want to name your baby Judas. <laughs> so what do we know about Judas? What do we know about Judas? And we are talking Iscariot, not the other eight. Let's pray for those guys, right? Got bad press. They probably need a new press agent. Well, Jesus called him along with the other disciples. Uh, we're going to be in mostly Luke, a little bit of Matthew, uh, for a bit of kind of different shade that Luke doesn't give us um, tonight. So uh, that'll be up on the screen. If you want to flip open a Bible, or crack open an app, or uh, do whatever it is you do, just recite from memory, you holy people, uh, go ahead. We're going to be in Luke 6 to start with, looking at when Jesus calls Judas along with the other disciples. It says, Luke 6, verses 12. It says this, In these days... He went out to the mountain to pray, that's Jesus. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, we're going to hear about him a bit later, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Judas was one of the 12 apostles. He met Jesus. And there are some people who debate this, but I'd like to put out there that he met Jesus and he did not receive salvation. The challenge for us is this. When you meet Jesus... When you are confronted with Jesus, the person of who he is and what he's done, and when you see and encounter Jesus, how do you respond? When you betray Jesus, when you sin, when you let him down, do you respond with regret and worldly sorrow like Judas will? or actually with true repentance. So we have this scene where Jesus has, has met Judas, he's met Peter, he's got his disciples and he's called 12 of them to be apostles. Judas was chosen by Jesus. And this meant that Judas travelled along with Jesus and the other disciples for Jesus' earthly ministry. He, in fact, participates in ministry with them. He, in fact, participates in miracles with them. He would have been there when, when Jesus and his disciples sent out the loaves and the fishes and brought back more than they'd sent out. He was there when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to, uh, to cast out demons and to pray for healing in his name. 
He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there. He witnessed. He was with Jesus. And this same Judas is there with Jesus as Jesus has uh, his last supper with his disciples, not that they knew that at the time. And Judas sits likely at Jesus' side next to him. And Jesus says to his apostles, those gathered there, one of you will betray me. And Judas leaves to betray Jesus in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, As was prophesied in the Old Testament, Zechariah 11 verse 13 says, And then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Actually, see a little bit later on that um, when Judas tries to return this money, when he has regret, uh, they purchase a field with it called the potter's field. And in Matthew 26, we hear a little bit about his intention before all this happened. Verses 13 says this, And then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. So this is before this Last Supper. And he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so Judas, who had been with Jesus these last few years, who had been with the other apostles these last few years, who had eaten with them, um, laid down wherever they could find a bed, who had witnessed miracles, seeks to betray Jesus and makes a deal. And he goes through with it and he betrays Jesus. So he gets up from this last meal that he's having with his disciples. He goes off to get the guards. Jesus uh, then journeys with um, some of his apostles to a garden to pray, knowing what's going to happen, knowing that he's about to be crucified. And he spends the night there in prayer. And sometime in the night, I think uh, they've worked out it's probably about 3 a.m., Judas comes with the guards, with the officials. It says in Luke 22, while he was still speaking, that was Jesus speaking to his apostles who were there, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And those who were around saw what would follow, and they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? You're kind of ready for some fisticuffs here. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders, who has come out against him? Who had come out against him? Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hand on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Can you, 
Can you see how this went down? Jesus is there. He's been praying. He's been in anguish, knowing the crucifixion that is to come and the weight of sin he would carry for the world that is to come. It says, in fact, that he was in so much anguish that he was you know, like sweating drops of blood. And a shadowy group of people come up across the hill, led by his friend. I mean, we kind of predicted this, right? We know who Judas is. We've got some idea about this guy. But to Jesus and, and the disciples, I mean, Jesus obviously had some idea, but this was his, their friend. They didn't know the reputation of Judas. I mean, Judas, there was like another eight or so of them, right? This was not yet a dirty word. And he comes up to Jesus. And he kisses Jesus. And this was the greeting of a friend. Culturally at the time, this is the greeting of a friend. In fact, the early church is told to greet each other with a holy kiss because culturally this is the welcome. And Jesus says to them, you know, I was in the temple all this time. You didn't arrest me there. Why now? Because he knows that this is not an arrest. This is a lynching. This is a murder. If they were to arrest him fairly, they would have done it in the day. Can you just imagine for a moment how Jesus felt? This man whom he had chosen, whom he had called, whom he had journeyed with, whom he had done life with, comes and greets him with a kiss and hands him over. Can you imagine for a moment how the other disciples actually felt, the apostles there with him? You were our brother. You let us down. Imagine um, you had been in a discipleship group and Jesus is your leader and you've actually kind of been for the last three years wandering around doing miracles with Jesus and then one of those very members turns around and betrays him, hands him over. Judas betrays Jesus. Following this, we're just going to keep reading in the verse, um, Peter also betrays Jesus, albeit in a very different way. There's a betrayal nonetheless. Verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, as Jesus has said it would. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter betrays Jesus too. Clearly within Jesus' own hearing. The kind of setup of this house and the common kind of layout of this house of the day was that the house was actually kind of built in a big kind of U shape, perhaps almost all the way around, um, and there was a courtyard in the middle. Uh, and this was kind of the rooms along the outside, and then the courtyard in the middle was, you know, the gathering space. And so this fire has been lit to kind of keep people warm, as was usual practice. And wherever Jesus was kind of being held or, or questioned or whatever was going on at the time, um, quite likely within the hearing. And he denies him the third time, and it says that Jesus looks to him. And I think in that moment, Peter knew, perhaps saw the heartbreak on his face. What we're going to see and what I want to look at is, is how these two men respond. And what we're going to see is, this, is that Judas turns away from Jesus and Peter turns back to Jesus. Judas has regret, as we'll see, but Peter has repentance. Judas, he feels bad about what he's done, as we'll hear but he doesn't change. And I want to put it out there for us that in fact it can be the same for us when confronted with our own sin, we can actually respond with sorrow and regret, but that actually doesn't mean repentance necessarily. Repentance is actually not simply feeling bad or sorrowful or like you've kind of been caught Repentance is actually turning back to Jesus. Um, author and pastor Tim Keller uh, writes this, which I think is a helpful clarifying statement. He writes, legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. While real repentance says, I broke God's heart. So there are some questions for us, like Judas had been with Jesus for these years, had been traveling, had seen the miracles, had obviously seen that Jesus was someone uh, special. If he believed he was God or not, he thought he was clearly a miracle worker. He'd seen the miracles, he couldn't deny that. So, so why did he do it? Why did Judas betray Jesus? Luke 22, verses 3 to 6 is helpful. I don't think it's conclusive, but it's helpful. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. So some people talk about this verse where it says that uh, the devil entered into Judas and they kind of say, well, Judas is a victim here. You know, the devil made me do it. And I think we too can actually use that in, um, sometimes in our own sin. You know, the devil made me do it. Deny any responsibility of our own. But, but the devil actually, I want to submit to you, didn't make Judas do this. 
This was something that was already in his heart. It was already his intention, but the devil empowered him to do it. Judas kind of set the direction of his heart. He set the rudder, but the, the devil gave him, gave him the boost, blew the wind into his sails. And I think maybe this could be an explanation of how people do such evil today. I mean, the scripture tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood alone. We see people who commit horrendous acts of atrocity and murder and terror and um, real damage. And I think that, you know, they are actually responsible for those acts. They are of their own accord. That is the way they have set their heart. But I think there's a spiritual reality where the evil one actually gets behind and helps empower those acts and helps drive them. So we don't actually have a definitive answer as to why a Judas set his heart this way. But there are some, some reasons we can infer from the story and from the text. Um, people, different scholars have suggested some things. Some have suggested that maybe he was actually really disappointed and disillusioned in Jesus. That Jesus wasn't actually setting up an earthly kingdom now to overthrow the Romans. The people Jesus came to, the Israelites, were living under Roman occupation. And there had been for hundreds of years many attempts to overthrow them, some mildly successful, as you get kind of recorded in the Apocrypha, um, that lasted for a while and then came down again. And so people were kind of waiting and thinking that the Messiah who was promised would overthrow the Romans. In fact, uh, some of his other apostles kind of make the mis this mistake too and, and say to him, will you now restore Israel? And Jesus kind of explains to them, it's not what you think. And so he may have heard this and been disappointed. Jesus was not the Messiah, not the king who was going to overthrow the Romans he expected. Maybe he was just excited to be a part of the crowds, to see the miracles, and, and didn't get it, what Jesus was actually about. Maybe he just wanted to save his own skin. He could see that this revolution wasn't going to happen the way he thought it was going to go down, that Jesus was going to be crucified and murdered, and he thought, you know what, if I participate in that, I'll get out of that. You know, if, if I stick with Jesus and stay loyal to him, they're going to kill me just like him. But if I participate in his betrayal, I'll be excused. Perhaps it was that. Perhaps it was because he was a lover of money. Uh, the gospel is actually, uh, the account actually records for us that he was stealing money from like, the communal disciples' treasury all throughout the ministry. Um, he actually famously uh, criticized a woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. Uh, he criticized her and said that money, that oil could have been sold for a whole year's wage. It could have been given to the poor. At the same time, he was stealing from the very treasury that money probably would have gone into. Perhaps he saw that Jesus was to die soon and the gravy train was going to be over. And this was his opportunity to scrounge a few more silver coins before it all went down. The Bible doesn't actually really tell us exactly why. But I think for us, this is perhaps a, an opportunity for us to question ourselves. What would you betray Jesus for? What 
what would you turn your back on Jesus for? If you were his disciple, his follower, what would you betray him for? Pride, money, sex, power, fame, love, the pursuit of personal freedom, or what appears like freedom. Because in fact, those of us who are Christians who are called to follow Jesus, every time we choose to not obey him, we are turning our back on him. That sits pretty heavy on your heart if you're anything like me. It's easy to judge Judas. It's easy to slag off Judas. Well, we, each and every one of us, we, we betray Jesus. We turn our back on Jesus and choose other things over him. Perhaps Judas was with Jesus for his own political agenda. Some have suggested that he was a zealot, these people that wanted to overthrow Rome. I think today, some people are with Jesus for their own political agenda, be it conservative or liberal, or somewhere in between. Perhaps you don't like how other people behave, how they dress, the choices they make with their life. And for you, being associated with Jesus is a way in which to further that agenda. Perhaps you are focusing on Jesus' message of freedom, of be nice to one another and be free and don't have any law. And perhaps you're with Jesus because you see like a gospel pronouncement of freedom against oppressors. Perhaps you're with Jesus because of what you can get out of it, be it prosperity or money or relationships. Perhaps you're with Jesus because you want to treat him like a get-out-of-jail-free card, like he's my hell insurance, I'll just slip that in my back pocket. Or like a prayer answering machine to get what you want. You know, I want a good boyfriend, I want more money, I want a better job. And I will be with Jesus for what I can get out of Jesus. Are you perhaps like Judas with the community of faith but not part of the community of faith? Judas hung out with Jesus and the other disciples and yet he was not transformed in the same way as the other disciples. Jesus didn't have his heart. Now I want to really clearly say and really strongly say and I can't really overemphasize this enough that, that if you are not a Christian you are actually 100% welcome here. Like You don't have to be a Christian to be here. Uh, but I also want to say, you do not have to pretend to be a Christian to be welcome here. Uh, if you are not a Christian and you want to hang around here and you want to be a, a part of our community and you want to be a part of us, you don't have to pretend to be a Christian to be here. In fact, we'd prefer if you didn't pretend to be a Christian because we want to love you for your real self, not for who you pretend to be. So let us love you for you 
and not who you think we want you to be. We do want you to meet Jesus. We do want you to become a Christian. But we don't want you to pretend to be a Christian until you've actually met Jesus and you can be a Christian. So, how did Judas wind up? Matthew 27 verses 3 to 10 tells us how this all went down. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver, saying to the chief priests and the elders, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priests taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field that has been called the field of blood to this day. Then it was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. What happened to Judas? He realized what he had done. He came to his senses, but instead of coming back to Jesus, he ran from Jesus. He fell into despair. When we know our sin, but don't come to Jesus, I think two things can happen. We can either be hardened in our sin and no longer see it as a problem, or we can despair of our sin. And we uh, may not want to die, but we may give up on being different than we are. So when confronted with our sin, we sometimes harden ourselves. And eventually the, the scripture talks about our hearts hardening, our conscience hardening, and then we no longer see it as sin. Or we give up on being any different and we say, well, yes, this is just who I am. The hope is that in Jesus, we, can, we find that we can have forgiveness and a new start, daily, hourly, every second if need be. His love for you is not based on what you have done or are doing or will do, but it's based on what he has done for you. In Jesus, we find that unlike Judas, you don't need to die for your sin your shame and betrayal. Because Jesus has died for you and your sin and your shame and betrayal is now hidden in him. He took it to the cross and it stayed dead and buried and now you can rise to a new life with him, not defined and held down by your past actions, your past reputation, your past relationships. In Jesus, we have a hope that is everlasting and unbreakable, and we do not need to despair. Judas despairs, and he runs. But in Jesus, we don't need to despair. Regardless of who you are, Jesus will have you. He doesn't care who you are, doesn't care what you've done. 
And so how does Peter respond? Peter comes back to Jesus. After Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, Jesus has an encounter with Peter. And Jesus helps him to see and realize his redemption. And he actually, in fact, becomes the leader of the early church. Uh, John 21 records records this for us. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another would dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We know from church history that uh, Peter was um, eventually uh, crucified for his following Jesus. But this is a beautiful picture and story of redemption with Jesus restores him with three affirmations, just like his three denials. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon actually on King David, uh, who has a similar tale, uh, in 1890 he said this, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. And I think with Peter, and what we can take from this as well, is that knowing your own brokenness and sin, rather than it being a weakness, it actually helps us to have a humble dependence on God and not ourselves. You know, we don't want to be so full of ourselves that we are of no use to God. Peter knows that he is a sinful, broken man, but he comes back to Jesus. And so what lessons can we learn from Judas? I want to encourage us with these three lessons. I know this is like a heavy sermon in some regards. I hope that you can see the gospel through this, and I want us to see some lessons from the life of Judas. It's this, uh, one of these lessons, it's it's not enough uh, to be in a great church with great teaching and great community. Now, I'm not saying that we are perfectly any of those things, although we're striving by God's grace to have those things, Um, but it's not enough to simply be in a great church with great teaching and great community because if you think about it, Judas was in the best. Uh, Judas's discipleship group was led by Jesus. Your leader's not that good, even if you've got Tran. <laughs> he had the apostles as his fellow DG members. They did life together. Like, the leaders of the early church are your fellow DG members. Jesus is your DG leader. Uh, DGs are discipleship groups, for those of you who are visiting. It's like a a weekly, uh, smaller gathering. Um, He had that. He had Jesus as his direct companion and teacher, and yet he wasn't transformed. 
I want to challenge you and encourage you with this thought, that your church is not to blame for your spiritual state. Judas was with Jesus, and he is still accountable. I think that if you are not in a church that has doctrinally sound teaching or a biblical community or those things, it's perfectly legitimate to perhaps look for a different church. Um, I pray and hope that if it's us that you think that's true of, you'll come and talk to us first. But if you are not in that place, it's legitimate to look for those things. But you cannot blame your church on your spiritual state. You are the one who stands before Jesus at the end to give an account. Not your DG leader. Not your region leader. And the witness of Judas will stand against you if you say you didn't have good enough teaching or community. Judas had Jesus. Another lesson we can take from Judas is that you can be a leader and be a pretender. Judas was sent out by Jesus with the other 12. He was there for the miracles. He helped to teach and heal. He was not saved. Don't presume that you can lead and not know Jesus and it will all be okay. I uh, did some, I've, I've done some uh, theological study at a few different colleges in my time, and I'm not going to name any names, but I was doing some study at a particular uh, Bible college, um, and one of the lecturers, I was having a chat with him about the, uh, the New Testament subject that he was teaching, and this lecturer uh, at this reportedly Christian college told me that he did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. My kind of like after I picked up my jaw off the ground and, and like fastened it back up, what? This person who was meant to be a leader in a college proclaiming Christ told me he did not believe Jesus rose from the dead. That guy's actually headed for hell and he's not a Christian. I'll just say it. Don't presume that just because somebody has a title that they have Jesus. They may, in fact, do good works. But that doesn't mean they know Jesus. I mean, Judas wanted to sell the money of the perfume for the poor. He seemed incredibly righteous and holy. But he didn't actually know and love Jesus in a way that produced salvation. I want to to ask you to consider for yourself, if you are a leader, may, this, may you consider this, and if you are someone who has led, may you consider this. Do the people leading you love Jesus? Because it is not enough just to look religious or to look righteous or to look holy. Do you love Jesus? I also want to encourage all of us uh, here, uh, every single one of us, to, to not base your faith on that of your leaders. Um, they can fail, but that doesn't mean that Jesus has. I've um, known uh, pastors, preachers, 
who have ministered to me personally, who have spoken messages, who have preached words from the Bible and who are now not walking with the Lord. And because they have fallen away doesn't mean that I will fall away. Because my faith is not based on them, it's based on Jesus. Sometimes we hear of different church scandals where a leader falls into sin or perhaps a leader walks away from the faith and never believed in the first place. And it rocks some people to the core. And I would say it shouldn't rock you to the core because your faith is not in them, it's in Jesus. In fact, uh, uh, Paul talks about this kind of very thing and he talks about people who, who preach Jesus who probably shouldn't be preaching Jesus, but he says he's just glad that Jesus is getting preached. He says in Philippians verse 15, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They're out preaching the gospel for envy and rivalry. But others from goodwill, and the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So the people who are there preaching Jesus so that Paul gets in more trouble, basically, to afflict him, to cause him more pain. And what does Paul say about this? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. <laughs> like, what? That's great. So I would encourage you, if you have perhaps come from a church background where a leader has let you down and failed you, or if you have uh, come from a, a background where someone you looked up to, a mentor, a friend, has failed you, has walked away, has perhaps betrayed you and betrayed your, your trust, rejoice in the gospel that has been proclaimed through them even though they themselves are broken like you. The lesson from Judas is that we cannot presume that because someone looks religious that they know Jesus. Just because you put on airs and graces of religion, you may be able to fool those around you, you may be able to fool me, but Jesus knows. And he loves you enough to not want you to pretend, but to know him for real. So lastly, we can learn from Judas that you cannot lose your salvation, but you can fake it. To outsiders, Judas seemed just like all the other apostles. But his heart had not received salvation. He was pretending. I want to encourage you that you do not need to pretend. We do not want you to pretend. We'd rather you be real. But I want to ask you, do you know the real and living Jesus? And as we all do, how will you respond when you betray Jesus and you have betrayed Jesus? We all sin against him and turn away from him. Will you run from him into hardening your heart or despair or will you run to him knowing that his love and grace never run out and are overflowing and unceasing with continuous welcome? Jesus' arms are open. He doesn't want you to pretend. He doesn't want you to hide. He wants you to turn to him for all that you are to receive all that he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
Um, thank you for your goodness to us. We want to pray that um, you would help us to uh, see and know and love you for who you really are, that you would, Lord, allow our community to be a place of safety where people do not have to pretend just to belong. Um, but God, we would ask that you would uh, speak to us by your Holy Spirit, reveal more of your Son to us in a way that would transform our hearts and lives. And Lord, um, I want to pray that you would um, help all of us when we betray you and let you down and hurt each other to turn to you and not from you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.